Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, today we're picking back up on our doctrine of penal substitution as it pertains to the atonement and Jesus's sacrifice and how Jesus's death can actually pay for our sin. And we talked about on Monday this idea that Jesus is pictured in the New Testament as the ultimate perfect Passover lamb. Like in the Old Testament, these they did these animal sacrifices, but those could only cover sin. The picture in the New Testament is that Jesus's death actually pays for sin so that no more sacrifice needs to be given. And we're going to look a little bit more closely at that idea today. And this idea that substitution in atonement was something that was fulfilled out of the Old Testament system, that this isn't a purely New Testament concept, but that it stems right out of the very earliest concepts of God's justice and what it means to maintain fellowship with God, even as a sinful people from the Old Testament. So today we're going to focus on Hebrews chapter 10 and the first 14 verses. And for the sake of time, I would encourage you to just go ahead and read those in their entirety. And I'm just going to give us a brief sort of overview of the main ideas from this passage. So in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 10, we see that the law, which is to say the Old Testament system, was a shadow, or we might say a foreshadowing of what was to come. In other words, it wasn't intended to be permanent. It was intended to be a a stopgap to get us to the ultimate solution. In verses 2 through 4, the writer of Hebrews continues by pointing out that animal sacrifices cannot pay for sin because if they could, then they wouldn't need to be offered continually. If sin could be dealt with once and for all by an animal sacrifice, then basically the writer is saying, then why did they have to keep offering animals again and again and again? Why did they have to do the Day of Atonement every year? Because what they were doing wasn't actually taking care of the problem. It was was a band-aid on a bullet wound, for lack of a better term. And so God instituted this system as a way of, as Paul writes about, like we talked about last week, forbearing rather than forgiving. God is not judging all of sin as much as it deserves in the Old Testament because God is looking forward to a time in the future when he knows that sin will be completely covered and paid for. And so out of his forbearance and patience, he is allowing a stopgap to be used and animal sacrifices to temporarily cover sin so that he can have a relationship with his people. In verse 9, the writer continues that Jesus came and he died to fulfill the Old Testament law, but in so doing, he rendered the Old Testament law unnecessary. He didn't abolish it. He didn't say that is it was bad. He simply says, I am the fulfillment of it, and therefore, 
it's no longer necessary. And so that leads us to this final point in verses 11 through 14, where the writer of Hebrews says that that the Old Testament priest's work was never finished, but Jesus' sacrifice was once for all. And that is why Jesus is able to sit down at the right hand of the Father and to rest because his work is done. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. The Old Testament priest's work was never finished because sacrifice for sin had to be constantly offered. And so there is a qualitative difference about Jesus's sacrifice as compared to every other sacrifice that had ever been offered in the Bible. And according to verses 12 through 14, as the writer of Hebrews is saying here in chapter 10, Jesus's death accomplished several things. And this is what makes it qualitatively different. First of all, it paid for all sins at once. Second, Jesus' death effectively defeated his enemies, and we're going to talk more in the coming weeks about exactly who his enemies were and how all of that works. And then third, Jesus' death removes any further need for additional righteousness from those who are a part of God's family. The righteousness that is imputed to me from Jesus is all the righteousness that I will ever need as a believer. There is no need for me to add to it. There is no need for me to uh, come alongside it and add anything additional to it. Jesus' death is sufficient in every sense that we think about it. I want to leave you with one other passage out of the Old Testament because this is a passage that is very often associated with Jesus prophetically, and it is Isaiah chapter 53, and I'm going to read you verses 3 through 10, and I want you to think about these verses in light of what we have read from Hebrews chapter 10. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 